It is a very good afternoon. It is the Live Morning Podcast this Monday afternoon. What a weekend it's been. Well, it seems the people of Clare have backed down. The blockades are gone. The government are delighted, of course, because now they get to move the asylum seekers, stroke people seeking international protection, into another hotel because the locals have agreed. And the reason they agreed, probably because so much pressure was being put on them during the week and they were being referred to as extreme right wing. I mean, if we've seen these people, uh, you will see clearly that they're not extreme right wing. They're just local concerned citizens. But politicians have now admitted, yes, Roger Gorman has said, yes, the key is communication. We're not communicating with the people when we're moving busloads of people in the middle of the night into these derelict hotels that are not fit for purpose. But one man who has been fighting against immigration, and if we go right back to Brexit, it was the very reason he said Brexit uh, was necessary, of course, because I suppose to avoid this kind of thing happening. Mind you, in, the, in Britain, that hasn't changed too much. We'll ask him about that in a few minutes. Nigel Farage, politician and also broadcaster, joins me on the line. Nigel, good afternoon to you. Good afternoon. And let's go back to the very beginning of all this. In 2015 boats started crossing the Mediterranean and landing on the shores of Italy and Greece and Malta. And I was there in the European Parliament when the EU common asylum policy, refugee policy, which up until that moment had been a theory. In theory, the EU would manage this for its member states, but in practice, nothing had happened. And ah, there was Mr. Juncker, probably before lunch, knowing him, uh, he was never, never much use afterwards. Uh, and suddenly Mr. Juncker springs into action and says, right, we are going to deal with this on an EU basis. And he set down the rules and they were very, very clear. Anybody that crossed the Mediterranean on a boat and set foot on EU soil would be allowed to stay. And I stood up in the European Parliament time and again and said, this is a disastrous policy. It sends a message that anyone can come. And yes, of course, some of those coming genuinely were fleeing war, but others would have you know, been seeking economic opportunities. It will lead to people drowning. Well, thousands of drowned. But they did. The and you witnessed that yourself when you went out on the boats yourself. You oh, witnessed absolutely. it because I know you absolutely. went out on the boats. But I mean, look, you have been staunchly against this for many years, very publicly. I mean, people have referred to you as extreme right wing when it comes to this particular issue. And by your own admission, you have to admit there are people who are genuinely fleeing situations where their lives are in danger. And I don't think anybody suggests that we shouldn't be rolling out a red carpet and helping those or supporting those. But where have we gone tragically wrong? Because now what we're seeing in Ireland is... And I remember reporting on this going back five or six years ago. Let's talk about per head of population. There's only a population of five million people in this country. And we were concerned that we had over five or six thousand people in direct provision going back four years ago. We now have over 22,000 people seeking international protection. And on top of that, we've probably got about 80,000 Ukrainian refugees here in Ireland. We're in the middle of a housing crisis. We've nowhere to put them. They're living in tents. Just a picture there. You'll see them all. It's like a shanty town. It's like tent city. And you'll see the, the pictures of them in the background there in Tent City, uh, essentially that's where they're living because the government now don't have any money, they don't have anywhere to put them, so they're arriving in Ireland they're handing them a 25 euro meal voucher and a tent and a bag and there's where you go. So what are we yeah, going to do? All of this is a knock-on from the point I made earlier about 2015. Once people get into the European continent, then they start to move around the continent. Uh, they generally go to places where the welfare system is the most generous. And this is one thing that you need to get really hoist on board. The numbers that have arrived 
on the southern European coasts so far in 2023 are three times the number that came in 2022. So if you think you've got a problem in Ireland at the moment, I promise you something, unless your government changes policy, you ain't seen nothing yet. Are we, single- now, are we now seeing the remnants of decisions being made in Britain to send people to Rwanda? Now, we know that's a controversial issue, and it still is in the UK. But are we seeing the remnants of that? Are those who were denied permission to remain in the UK are now fearing I could get sent to Rwanda or somewhere else for that matter or deported, and they'll come to Ireland? Because as you know, we have had um, so many deportation orders given in this country, and none of them have actually been uh, warranted. In other words, nobody actually really gets deported. Now, I have to say the majority are probably fine people looking for a better life, and I get all of that, I understand it, but there are in there a mix of individuals who are wanted by Interpol because we have no way of checking because the Irish Times reported recently that the majority of people arriving here in a plane have no passports, no documentation. I don't even know how we're checking these people. Well, first things first, all right? You know, first things absolutely first. Understand that when this began, ISIS openly boasted they would use the Mediterranean as a means to get their operatives into Europe. And you remember those monstrosities that took place in Paris a few years ago of the eight men that committed mass murder, five had entered France via the Mediterranean. So actually there is a national security issue here for all of us. Well, we haven't haven't seen much evidence that in Ireland and Britain, certainly anyway, thankfully. Hang on, hang on, it's early days. This is just beginning. I'm saying there is a national security issue. Secondly, there is a cultural issue. Ireland has a very distinct individualistic culture. Hey, it's why you fought to get away from Westminster and Great Britain, because you wanted your own independence with your own culture. Yeah, but we all but we all welcome diversity and the government has announced recently, by the way, comparison to most countries in Europe now, we have more people non-Irish born, probably per head of population than most countries in Europe because we had a small population, we have a booming economy, we have a good economy and it will get better and we needed more employ- employees. So there's no doubt that we need people in Ireland. I mean, we were begging for people to come in here during the Celtic Tiger because we had nobody to work picking fruit, we had nobody to work in the hospitality industry because the Irish people for some reason weren't willing to do it because the pay was too low. So we were thankful of people coming in here. So people are saying, the government is saying, well, maybe you should be thankful now that we can can hold a population of 10 million here. If you don't want it to be Ireland, that's fine. Keep going. It won't be Ireland. Irish culture will disappear if that's what you actually want to do. Well, I don't think anyone wants that. No. Well, but that's where you're going. And it's the same in my country, in large parts of my country. Now, the economic point is there is a shortage of labour, a perceived shortage of labour. Much of this, of course, is because the very big companies want an unlimited supply of the cheapest possible labour. And if you combine that with the welfare model that we've put into place in all of our countries, you find you have large populations of local-born people who aren't doing jobs that are being done by those that are coming in. Now, there is no quick fix to that problem. That is true. And there's nothing wrong if you genuinely in Ireland need labour. There is nothing wrong with issuing a work permit. You know, you go and work in Ireland on a work permit. 
on that yeah, note, Roger Gorman, yes, it was reported in the Irish Examiner, has said that he's reducing the criteria now for visas to come and work in Ireland for unskilled workers. In the middle of all this, we're announcing that we're going to make it even easier. I mean, not that it wasn't easy enough. I don't believe we even have a border at this stage. And you'll see that in County Clare over the week, I suppose, there was, a con- there was blockades and all the roads. You'll see it on the video there. And refugees were basically forced to leave and literally walk back to Dublin again to City West where they were originally coming from. Because... There is nowhere for them to say. Even Leo Varadkar admitted last month, more or less, there was no room at the inn. 40% of the occupation of many of the hotels around the city have been taken up with refugees. They have to have somewhere to live. But what's that going to do for a tourism industry? Well, you say they have to have somewhere to live. But hang on a second. What is happening in Ireland is quite extraordinary. Because people are boarding aeroplanes with passports, with identification... And by the time they get to Dublin Airport, apparently they have no documents and they claim asylum. Now, if the Irish government was genuine and sincere in stopping this and allowing, and let's face it, it's mostly young men who are coming into these countries, yours included. Well, those seeking international protection, yes. Well, well, I mean, with the Ukrainian refugees, eighty thousand. You can believe that if you want to. You no, no, no. I, no, I, I, what I'm doing is I'm differentiating between the kind of eighty thousand or so people from Ukraine uh, and those coming in seeking international protection, i.e., asylum seekers. And the most of those, you're right, would be young men. Yeah, yeah. Ukraine is different. What I'm talking about are people gaming the system in Ireland, getting off aeroplanes at Dublin Airport without passports. Now, the only way you stop that from continuing, and this could go on for years is you put those people back on a plane straight back to their point of embarkation. And there is a lesson in all of this. So what, what, about, what, about, what about the lefty humanitarians who are going to tell you, oh, you can't be doing that. You can't be sending people back to certain death or certain, you know, I mean, whatever p- political unrest or whatever it is in their country, that you can't be doing that. Here is the answer to that. It's very simple. For many years, Australia was seeing a flow of boats that were coming from Indonesia. And just the same as as the debate we're having now, no doubt some were fleeing horrible stuff. Others were opportunists. But Australia tried repeatedly to stop this from happening. And in the end, Tony Abbott in 2012, the prime minister, took the boats under tow, towed them back to Indonesia. And and set them on fire. And said, nobody will ever, ever become a refugee in Australia if they come via this illegal route. And guess what happened? The boats stopped coming. And yes, there was international condemnation from the EU, the UN, the lefties, the media, the New York Times. But that's what you have to do. You either, you either. So you say, take a hard line, is what you're saying. well, you've got well, look, to well, look what's happened in your own country when they took the hard line. They said they'd send them to Rwanda. So there was objections, there was protests, they and they still really haven't done it yet. We have not sent a single person to Rwanda. And I don't Are they going to? Are they going to? I don't think we will. All the while we stay. We may have Brexit from the European Union, but we stayed part of the European Court of Human Rights. And it was that court that stopped a plane on a runway from taking off. So I don't think we'll deal with this until Brexit is fully completed. Three more questions for you, Nigel. In relation to Ireland, there has been a lot of protests over the last sort of six or seven weeks. Started off in East Wall. I know you uh, actually uh, did a piece on East Wall recently on GB News. 
But I mean, the government are referring to anybody who goes out on a protest, which has put the fear of God in people and they're now covering their faces going on protests. You are a right wing. You're a racist. When genuinely, and I've spoken to some of these people, many of them are not right wing racist. They're not even right wing. They're just concerned citizens in their communities. I mean, is it wrong that the government are essentially, by bad policy, are turning people against each other? Disgusting. Absolutely disgusting and divisive. And, it, and, 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 you know, it is actions like this that make communities very unhappy. It is a bad, stupid, selfish thing to do. But the problem is, in our capital cities, um, our, you know, the elites, the globalists, have a different worldview to all the rest of us. Uh, and, and it takes brave people to stand up against this sort of abuse. But, you know, I think it's vital that they do. Okay, Find out two more questions for you. Nigel Farage, you, according to The Guardian, you confessed that Brexit has been a failure. This is according to The Guardian. They're taking your words. Did you actually say that? And if you did, what was the context in which you meant it? Because we're looking at a, situ a situation now where next month thousands of businesses alongside representatives of the farming and the fishing industry will gather in Birmingham for a trade unlocked conference call to discuss a post-Brexit landscape most say has made commercial life infinitely harder. Oh, commercial life is much harder than it was before. Much, much harder. We are now regulating our businesses even more than we were during European Union membership. But has, so has we, it failed? We voted to take back control of our borders. We've got figures coming out this Thursday. It'll be the highest ever level of immigration into Britain. Something like a million net coming in over the course of a year. The Tories have totally failed Brexit. Constitutionally, we may have left. But the reasons people voted for it have been utterly betrayed by a party that never, ever believed in it. And I, I can't even begin to tell you how disappointed I am. I'd say you are, obviously, because you were instrumental, obviously, in Brexit and getting that yes vote across the line. And finally, of course, Donald Trump, the interview in GB News. Great interview. I did watch it. Um, some of the stuff he said you agreed, a lot you didn't agree with. He was constantly going on once again about the voting interference. I think that's going to be the, the, the cross he'll fall on if he keeps mentioning it all the time. Uh, you can't yeah. just keep coming back to that. But do you believe he stands a chance with 34 uh, felony charges against him? Probably more on the way. A lot, of, But mind you, he does seem to be like Teflon and nothing is sticking to him. But do you think he actually stands a chance if we go back to a rematch? Oh, I think it's his to lose. Uh, I think if you look at support for Biden, support for Democrat policies, it's falling very, very substantially. Um, look, I think, I think Donald Trump is going to win next year i really do i the problem with this stolen election narrative um, is that it's negative and backwards looking and he and i disagree on it quite strongly but one big thing has changed since 2020 and that is twitter is now a board for genuine free speech as opposed to propaganda for the democrats and i think with one or two things like that happening i think it's likely to be a better more open debate next time as far as all the legal stuff is concerned, uh, many Americans now utterly disregard their own judicial system as being too politicized and in need of real reform. And I, I'll finish saying this to you. Whatever you think of Donald Trump's personality, and yet, you know, I know he's an out there New Yorker. He's not exactly everyone's cup of tea, all right? But when it Certainly comes not. to the... Well, that's right. But when it comes I'm sure, to the, I'm sure you watched the interview on CNN, by the way, where he, yes. he, he referred to the woman who took a case, civil case against her for sexual allegations as being bonkers. In other words, he defamed her again. And I believe she's going to take another case against him. But, I mean, he doesn't care, does he? 
he doesn't care. And, 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 you know, the American legal system tying itself in knots the way it is, is a warning, I think, to all of us not to go too far down that route. But on the big stuff in the world, like the rise of China, on the big stuff in the world, like stopping perpetual war, I think on these things, Donald Trump was a highly successful president. I think the Abraham Accords between Israel and many of those Arab states, these were all big achievements on the world stage. And I think the world is becoming an increasingly dangerous place. And I think, frankly, uh, with Biden, we're literally handing the world over to the Chinese Communist Party. We need Trump. Will you be standing beside him on the stage next time around? Always support my friends. Absolutely. I've supported him from day one. I've never, ever wavered. Doesn't mean that I agree with everything, everything he says or does as any more than you would agree with your best friend on everything they say or do. But I think he's a force for good and I think we need him. And yes, I'll be there. Nigel Farage, thank you very much indeed for joining us today. The multi-award winning Niall Boylan podcast. Listen live on Facebook, YouTube, and all the usual live stream services. To get in touch, just WhatsApp or text 085-100-2255. The Niall Boylan Podcast. They told me to shut up. Available for download from all your usual platforms.